Father, thank you. Thank you that you're with us. You're with us when the storms rage and when they're calm. You truly never leave us, nor do you ever forsake us as your children. Lord, you have provided with us so many great gifts, such great gifts of grace in our life. Salvation surely being the top top of all of that, but in that you've given us women in our life. You've given us mothers. You've given us women who love the Lord Jesus Christ in many cases, who have lived an example and passed that truth down. We thank you for them, Lord, and we are here to honor them today and praise you for the gift of biblical womanhood. Lord, we thank you that this truth is realized in society, whether they want to confess that or not. Women have always played a significant role in the lives of their families. And Lord, we know that that is a picture of your grace. And we ask that you would bless our effort, Lord, to defend and proclaim biblical womanhood. Father, thank you for this gathering, each and every one that's here Uh, Pray for those who are away, traveling, on vacation, ministering somewhere else, Lord. Please give them journeys, mercies, Lord. Father, we pray for those who can't be with us today, those who are going through some treatment or uh, surgeries or or upcoming surgeries, Lord. Please give them strength. Cause them to trust you, Lord. And we pray that you would guide and care for them during this time. Lord, thank you for our missionaries. So it's a joy to speak with many of them this week and hear how they're doing and and, and seeing countries now opening up and the excitement of missionaries again being able to meet with larger groups, Lord. We pray today you would give them sweet words of the gospel as they gather people and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you would take it and allow it to press deep into our hearts. May it change our thinking. May we be more like you, Lord, when we leave this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 31. That's where we will begin as we talk about the beauty and the imagery of biblical womanhood. Well, the world tends to honor women in several ways. I'm speaking of the world now. First, the world has always honored women for their outward beauty and charm. That has been a given. You, you just see that in commercials and and TV shows and so forth, there's always an honoring of the outward. Because of this, there's a high priority put on women through the world, and they spend much of their life trying to gain um, and, and preserve beauty. The Bible says God looks on the heart, and that's where he sees true beauty. Well, second, the world honors women who are powerful and women who dominate It's a new word and a strong push we see in society. Because of this, there is this constant pressure placed on women to deny certain rules that we believe God has given. And often these women find themselves very angry, in other cases empty and unfulfilled. Third, the world highlights and honors women for not being women. It is really strange to us that we're, what we're seeing. Even a justice on our highest court cannot define what a woman is. There is a strong push within our society for women not to be women, unless it's to their specifications. And so they certainly do not like a message like today. God has given a beautiful role for biblical womanhood. And the biblical instruction for womanhood is completely countercultural to what's going on. And that's just like God. When we think about the way God does things, man thinks he can save himself by a list of things that he can do. God says you can't do anything. See, he's just, he comes completely different than the depraved mind and heart thinks about how to come to God. The same is true in the role of family. See, while society is striving to eliminate even the distinction between men and women, the Bible is constantly reassuring us of the beautiful role of a Proverbs 31 woman. 
The Bible is reassuring us that God desires women to center their life on him and the ones he has placed in her care. The world describes a woman, if they can at all, as one who dominates all those around her. And she only serves those who agree with her. Today, in this text, in that Colossians text, we'll see what God says of who needs to be honored. What women need to be honored. We, want, we honor them because they're a gift from God. Women are a gift from God. And not just to men. Certainly we feel the grace and blessing of God who puts women in our life, our mothers, our wives, so forth. But their families, and not just their families, the world is a better place because of biblical womanhood. And we'll see that over and over. We mostly honor biblical womanhood because it brings a unique glory to God. Our wives, our moms, the women in our life, they have the ability to bring glory to God in a way we can't, men. Our job is to give them every, everything they need to accomplish that. Today's study is designed to encourage women to do just that. To be unashamed, to live lives for the glory of God and learn from the infallible instruction of God's Word. It's also a lesson to encourage men. Stand up, men, for what the Bible says for women. I know we get attacked when we teach that we believe in the roles, the biblical roles of husbands and wives, but we need to stand up. This is God's word speaking to us. And we need to stand up for this inspired role God has given to our wives, to our mothers, to the women in this room, to the women in the church, as they honor and humbly take care of us in a lot of ways and honor, and honor God in the way they fulfill those roles. We should humbly lead them, and we should provide for them. Finally, a way of introduction, I think it's also a lesson for the next generation. This is where it will be lost. Young people, young marrieds, uh, young adults, you need to listen good today. I know you know some of this. You've been in the church a long time. But you're the next generation that they're going after. So we encourage you to, to be faithful, to joyfully obey God's word. Understand God's design for the family. And we ask that you continue to carry on this great message of the family as God intended it. Let me give you five thoughts this morning. And the first one, we're going to start in Proverbs 31. A proverb, now listen to this. A proverb written to men with a lesson on biblical womanhood. This is a proverb written to men. I don't know if we all know that. Go, Proverbs 31, maybe you're reading along. You go, that's the girl stuff. Oh, no, no. It's written to men. Look with me all the way to Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of the king, Lamel, the oracle which his mother taught him. (laughs) What, O my son, and what, O my son, uh, son of my womb, and what, O my son of my vows. Well, much of Proverbs we know is written to a a father to his son. It's a majority of his King Solomon saying, sons, sons, honor your mother or don't do this or do these things. Much of Proverbs has that fatherly wisdom. But here we have a mother of the king. This is the mother of the king with an urgent plea for her son, to act wisely in one of the most important decisions he'll ever make. Notice in verse 3 through 9, there is this warning that comes from this woman. She's a godly woman. She warns of the wrong woman, and she warns of a host of other things that will destroy his life. However, in verse 10, this godly woman poses, uh, poses this incredible question. Notice verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? Now that's not a statement like, don't try. (laughs) It's a challenging question, isn't it? 
Can you pursue an excellent wife, son? The list uh, that you could look at from three to nine is all kinds of problems, problems that have drug young men into the gutter, uh, caused them to make decisions that had consequences for the rest of their life. And mom says, son, an excellent wife, who can find her? Men, godly women and mothers in our life are a treasure and a gift from God. They're one of the greatest blessings that we have. Their rarity is to be honored. It's to be protected by us. And not let the world challenge and destroy what we believe. We should give the women in our life and in this church everything they need to accomplish this great calling of biblical womanhood. Notice in verse 11 that she is trustworthy. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Verse 12, look at this. She seeks good for her husband versus evil. Look at verse 13 and 14. She's diligent and resourceful. I love that about the text. Verse 15, look at she cares for all of those underneath her roof. A godly woman, if somebody comes in the threshold of her door, she is going to care for them. Verse 16, she's a realtor and a farmer. I think what it's doing is, is the Bible here is highlighting the creativity and the imagination of this godly woman. She's not some dumb Christian who submits to her husband, as the world says. Verse 17 describes her as in her productivity, in her strength. She's not lazy. Look at verses 18 through 20. She dedicates extra hours to not only meeting the needs of her family, but, but even others who are in need. I got a kick out of verses 21 and 22. I thought, well, clearly she's not a Florida girl. She prepares her family for snow. But she is concerned, here's the, the emphasis here, she's concerned for the physical care of her family and she makes sure that they are dressed properly for whatever the weather. Verse 23, look here, she helps and supports her husband so he can be successful. As he not only provides for the family, but notice that he cares for others in wisdom and oversight. He's an elder in the gate. He, she's there. She's the backbone. She's, she's the one behind him for his success in his job and in his ministry. What an amazing description of a woman from a woman. <laughs> That's a description of a woman from a woman. How do you argue with that? And it's all given to her son. I want to focus now on these verses that Pastor Gary read. Just look at verse 25. Let me read that to you. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. Well, in verse 25, here we see the true adorning of the hidden person of the heart. What a beautiful reminder. Strength and dignity are clothing. First, first Peter 3, verse 4, uh, encourages the ladies not to be known for what the outside looks like, but for what the heart looks like. And then it makes that great statement, God says, that is precious in his sight. And here, hundreds and hundreds of years before that text, Peter wrote here the reminder that her strength and dignity is in who she is. I love this phrase, she smiles at the future. See, I think that's a woman who trust in the promises of God. You know, the future can be a bit scary, can it? Especially as moms raise children in, in maybe a, a changing world. Things that they don't quite know how things are going to turn out. And a lot of decisions have to be made from, from schooling to discipline to all kinds of things. But see, this, this mom, this godly mom, she smiles at the future because her trust in God. So she'd be a woman who studies God's word and says, we're going to do it that way. And we can trust God. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom and teaches 
and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. What could be more powerful than wisdom spoken in kindness? There's a thing more powerful than that. Wisdom spoken in kindness. What a woman. See, these truths now come from her heart. She's not parenting the outside. She, she's now speaking from her heart to the heart of her children and to the heart of those who are in her care. Notice verse 27 through 29. She looked well to the way of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. I know many of you and like myself are maybe thinking of women that were in our life, our mothers, our wives even. And so we look at this passage and we see this woman who the entire household, led by her husband, proclaim her excellence. See, that's what God intended. That's what God intended for all of us to live our lives. But because of sin and selfishness and pride and and lack of forgiveness, all those things, often this doesn't take place. But this is what God has for us. This is what we're capable of doing. Being these kind of parents and children and family. Notice her dedication to being a helper cannot be overlooked. When Adam was in the garden, he was made and God showed him everything that he had made and paraded animals by him to let him name those animals. And I, I think it's pretty evident that God could have named those animals. So why does he do that? I think the, ultimately he's showing Adam, there's nothing like you. But I got a special gift for you. Time to take a nap. And he brings Eve. And there, most likely, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, they're introducing this couple. He needs the help, and she wants to help. And he puts them together. And I think what you see in this verses 27, 28, 29 is the result of a helper, a godly helper. One that seeks to exalt Christ in all that she has done and her family rises up in one accord and says, blessed are you among women. Look at verse 30 with me. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Well, charm and beauty is the number one thing that the world tells women to pursue. And they say it in so many different ways. But look what God's word counters with that. But a woman who fears, worships, has reverential awe for the Lord, she shall be praised. So she has beauty that's unfading, no matter what her age is. No matter the wrinkles or the, uh, as we all grow older, the knees that don't work or whatever it may be, this beauty shines forth unfaded because the character of Christ is shining through her. Think about this, her good works prepared in advance for her now adorn her for God's glory. See, the Bible says that God has prepared good works in advance for us. And when we focus in on mothers and the role of women, that, that's so true. So God has these beautiful works for the role of women to, to fulfill. And as they're fulfilled, they adorn the glory of God. And everybody recognizes it. Notice her greatest achievement is that she worships her God and Savior. That's the greatest achievement. Husbands, you want a godly wife? Lead her to Christ. Let her worship. Give her everything she needs to know Jesus better. As she grows in the grace and knowledge of the Lord through, through worship and the word, she will grow um, in her understanding of her role. Over and over she'll get She'll, she'll blossom into that glorious woman that God has for her. So often men, we sometimes put stumbling blocks in front of them. Men, this is for us as well, right? We talked about that. Is there anything we're doing that would cause our wife to stumble? Would we, would we be willing to pull that out, repent of that, take that away so that she can become this woman who, who when all said and done, she... She, though she cares for the, the temple that God has given her, her main goal is the worship of the Lord. And we receive great benefit from that. Finally, verse 31. 
give her the products, product of her hand and let her works praise her in the gate. Even if the world or even her own family at times does not recognize a godly woman, God does. It's so important to understand that. You may be in a situation where you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not recognized. God recognizes it. In fact, he says, it's precious in my sight. Praise the Lord. Well, second thought will take us to a comparing passage. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. As I thought about this text, I thought, where can I illustrate this beside the normal text that we've taught many times and loved dearly, Titus 2, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and so forth. But my mind was taken to this passage because so many terms in this passage speak of a godly woman, a woman who really, truly loves the Lord. And, and I, I fell in love with this text again and again as I studied it. And this will bring us to our second thought. God's love for salvation, for the, God's love for the salvation of women for his glory. Now, Certainly, this passage in Colossians 3 is written to all believers. But this morning, I'm going to make a connection here between Proverbs 31. And I want us to apply this directly to to how we view the women in our lives, our mothers, our wives, um, uh, other single gals. Um, All of that comes into this text, and I think it will encourage you. Well, verse 5 through 10, we're told that the believers to put off a lot of stuff, right? And I think this is important. Ladies, there's great stuff here to remind you of. Verse 5, we're to mortify, to, to die to certain sins, impurities and immoralities and evil desires and so forth. Those will just rob you. They'll rob you of your opportunity to glorify God in your role. And we're to walk with Him and put off anger and malice and so forth in verse 8. And lay those things aside. And notice in verse 10 and 11, the, the charge is to be renewed in the true knowledge. I hope you come to church to be renewed in true knowledge. I hope that's your goal. I hope it's not some checklist and maybe I'll be all right and God will bless my business or something like that. Come to have your knowledge renewed. The Bible challenges us on that. He teaches us that we are to be image bearers for his glory here in verse 10 and 11. And notice that there's no distinction. And so when we teach on the roles of, of women, we are not teaching on a lesser role. We're teaching on a different role. Right? Men and women, equal yet different. God brings great roles to bring him great glory. And so there we see in verse 11 that all are equal in Christ. But ladies, look in verse 12 with me. And and let us learn what a woman consumed with Christ looks like. Notice first you're chosen of God, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness to Humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, I love that phrase, don't we? Uh, we love the doctrines of grace here. We love the fact that, that God has explained clearly in the Bible that God chooses people for salvation. He does not leave that up to us because we couldn't do it in our sin. And so he graciously chooses. And this is a beautiful, worshipful truth that's taught throughout Scripture. Some of my favorite passages are Ephesians 1, Acts 13, 48. 1 Thessalonians 1, so forth and so on. But listen to this one. This one, I think, really fits the day. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, Paul runs into a woman. The Bible says a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. So she was religious, but not saved. She was listening. Now listen to this phrase. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. God, on that day, showed his choice of Lydia from the foundations of the world. So when we come to salvation, there is just complete equality. God saves men and women, not by our own works, not by our own strength. He saves them through his sovereign declared choice that he laid down from the foundations of the world, and he loves gathering women into his family. God knew Lydia. He knew her before the foundations of the world, and he wasn't going to miss her. So he drew her to himself in his sovereign grace. And if you're here today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, ladies, this is your testimony, that God knew you, and through his loving kindness drew you in 
pulled you to himself, gave you as a gift to the son, and the son says, I'll never lose her. I'll never lose her. What a great reminder. You have been chosen to be in God's forever family. Women go through hard times, even Christian women. Some are abandoned. Some are mistreated. Some are passed over, even by the church at times. Some fall through the cracks. But listen, ladies, I want to remind you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in his forever family. He is your father who will never fail you. He is the man in your life who will never miss the mark. He's a great God. But notice also, ladies, that what God does for you, he has a a perfect position for you. Notice he says, you're holy. He says, holy and, and, and blameless. What a term. This This refers to this initial sanctification that's granted. God takes them out of the world and says, you're mine. He he separates you from the world. You no longer belong to them, and you now belong to him. You're put into his forever family. And here we talk about positional holiness. We are holy because he's holy. This is why we always defend the impeccability of Christ because if he's not holy, we never could be. And so now you have this position of holiness. And, and when, we, when we understand men and women, boys and girls who are in Christ, who are saved, and we understand our position in holiness, it affects the way we live. See, legalism doesn't drive holiness. It actually drives away from it. Holiness drives the way we think now. The way we live our lives, the way a a wife is going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in the way she conducts herself, the way a husband is going to honor Christ in the way he conducts himself, a child, a teenager, a young adult, no matter what it is, it is because God has made us holy, we now strive by his grace to live holy. Want some more encouragement, ladies? Look at this. The Bible says you're beloved. Holy and beloved. It's one of my favorite terms in in the Bible. It means that God has set on you a very special, unique love. Namely, that you now become the object of his love. You're beloved. One of the things that we deal with in counseling often is sometimes women don't feel loved by their husbands. Don't feel loved. And we work hard to help husbands learn biblically how to love their wives and repent and turn to God for help. But sisters, let me tell you, there's no greater love than the love of Jesus. The love of a God who knew you before the foundations of the world and you were not going to escape him. He would gather you in at all cost and give you as a gift to his son and his son would keep you. Ladies, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 5 that in love... In love, he predestined, predetermined you to be adopted daughter through Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, according to the kind intention of his will. Isn't that beautiful? And though you may go through some difficult times and feel unloved at times, you have a father in heaven who loves you. And he purposed, he purposed to make you part of his forever family. And this kind of love sustains a Christian woman. This will sustain you through the darkest days and the most difficult times. The love of Christ will take you through that. This kind of love that positions you in God's holiness is a special love. He granted it to you. Notice the results of some of this that starts to happen. Notice there's a heart of compassion. I don't know if you watched any of the hearings and watched some of the women who have made their way into leadership and and men too, There's just an arrogance, isn't there? There's a lack of compassion. They're not even, they don't even mind if you say that they kill babies in the womb because, you know, okay, but it's woman's right, my body, my whatever they say. There's no compassion. You know what a chosen woman of God comes, gets automatically from a God who has showed compassion on you is a heart of compassion. I've had people come up after sermons like this and say, uh, my mom did not have a heart of compassion. She was the hardest woman I ever met. (laughs) But that's not God's design. 
See, God's design is to you to know that you've been chosen from the foundations of the world, and now there's this compassionate heart. And just think about this a little bit. In the ancient world, it was merciless and brutal to women. And here, Paul is saying in this inspired text of the Word of God that it's just opposite of that. That when you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, when you know Him, when you understand that He's chosen you from the foundations of the world, and you're in His forever family, He grants you a heart of compassion. There is nothing more beautiful than a woman who shows compassion to somebody in need. Whether that be her children, her husband, or anyone else. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings with it sympathy and tenderness. Can you look at the cross and not have any sympathy or tenderness towards Jesus? Can you look at that scene? No, a true Christian has sympathy to Jesus. We know it was our sins that put him on there. See, right there, the gospel already is indwelling in you a heart of compassion. And let me say this, brothers and sisters in this room, that should continue into our families and into our daily lives. Are we compassionate for one another? Look, you may have hurt and bitterness, but the glory of God can bring you compassion He can change that. I mean, who here has that testimony? I I would imagine there's many in this room, probably women who could stand up and say, I was full of bitterness. I I was full of anger. I was hurt. And it was Jesus Christ that brought back compassion into my life. Oh, praise God for that. Notice the next result of this fruitful response to the glory of God is she's kind. She's kindness. See, grace has now invaded her conversation, her life. She, she now brings kindness. It's interesting, this word is used in a very, very well-known verse for kindness here, Matthew 11:30, where he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's the word easy there that's the same word. And so you could read it, Jesus says, my yoke is kind. It doesn't ask you to bring a whole load in order to get yourself saved. That's how women operate so much. They do so many things that lift the load off of the people under their care. It shows that they're kind. The list could go on and on if we circled this room and talked about the kindness of the women in our life. And Christ is marked by kindness, isn't he? When you stare at the cross as hard as it is to see our Savior dying for our sin, do you not see kindness of Jesus? That he stayed on that cross, that he didn't say, all right, legions of angels, I've had it. (laughs) Let's wipe them all out. Oh no, he's kind. In fact, Romans 2, 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. What a beautiful text. Kindness is a, a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Third response to the glory of God is humility. Isn't this a beautiful one? The original Greek word, as we studied this back, that was used during Christ's time was a word for groveling. But Christianity really changed the meaning of it as it was written about Jesus Christ and it was written about the apostles and it was written within the word of God. It became a word that attaches to someone who lays their life down for someone else. I think best described in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, in, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I think that phrase just marks the women in my life, my wife and my mother. It marks them. Christ has got a hold of these two women. And I, I'm here today because of that. Because God instilled kindness in his gospel in the women in my life. Wow, what a beautiful description of a godly mother, of a godly single woman, of godly biblical womanhood. Another response is gentleness. It's closely related to humility, but, it, but it's not a trait of weakness here. This is not weakness. It describes her willingness to suffer instead of letting others hurt. Man, moms do that. Moms will come in and they'll slide in and take the nails and, and take everything to protect their children. They do it in such a gentle way. I, I remember, I remember 
walking in the house one day, and Gina said, hey, I'm trying to teach the boys through the Spirit, and we're kind of stuck on gentleness because they're like four bear cubs that just roll around all the time. You young parents know what that looks like. They go, oh, yeah, well, gentleness is often used or transcribed as meekness within the Bible. Um, when I was little, I remember a, a Sunday school lesson, and maybe you remember this, this went around uh, the Christian church within America quite a bit, of a, a mother hen where a barn, a barn burnt down, and she had, hit, you know, she had little, hit, little chicks with her, and the farmer comes along after everything's burnt down and is just smoldering, and he finds this dead hen, and he kicks that hen, and out comes all of the chicks. You remember this story? Anybody remember this? This is, it was a little illustrated. Uh, I was raised with this. I never forgot that story. And, and certainly that is a story that points to Jesus Christ. He takes, he takes the death for us and guards us from eternal death. But, but what a picture of the gentleness of a mother. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers or sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A lot of times people never get to restore people because they don't know how to be gentle. They don't know how to love and walk somebody through. Often good counselors are, are, are many times, and we have them here, they're women who can sit down and gently work through difficult issues with them. It is a true gift. Fifth, a fifth response of her fruitful labor for the glory of Christ is, look at this word, patience. <laughs> I think everybody takes a little bit of gasp when they think about this. It means to suffer long. Women suffer long for the glory of God, don't they? In fact, it means to suffer long in the face of insult and injury because Jesus is worth it. You go, well, Scott, that's not fair. How, how, how can someone who vowed to God in front of him and their friends, who treats somebody in such a way, how can, how can we be patient while we're being insulted and mistreated and even abused in some cases? Because God grants you patience. And he grants you kindness. And he grants you the illustration of Jesus Christ hanging there for you. And women model this. Peter says it this way, way, chapter 2, verse 20, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he says, What credit is there when you are sinned against and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it patiently and endure it, this finds favor with God. I've encouraged many women through the years God sees your patience. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your godly response. And he's pleased and glorified by it. See, these are attributes for all of us, but they're perfectly displayed in Jesus Christ. And ladies, let me encourage you. Strive for those things. So many of you are such a blessing to us as we watch you live your life. Third thought, grace and forgiveness are modeled in biblical womanhood for the glory of God. Look at verse 13 with me. What a beautiful verse this is. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. All Christians um, have two distinct different kinds of forgiveness. <laughs> one is not right. <laughs> See, there's a forgiveness that is graceless. Uh, it's the forgiveness that acknowledges some act is done, but still keeps that record of that wrong. And in fact, it's really wrong to put that into the term of forgiveness, but often is put there. Some will use words of forgiveness, but remain resentful. They won't bear and believe and hope and endure in all things. They won't be able to do that. They'll, they'll just remain resentful. For many of us, our mothers and wives are those who truly taught us forgiveness. I remember telling my mom I hated her when I was little. Anybody else do that? I, it's probably as boys, we get mad. I hate you, mom. It's probably supposed to clean my room or something. Something so earth-shaking like that. To this day, I can see my mom's face. She didn't say a word to me. It was within minutes I ran and asked her, Mom, will you please forgive me? That, that countenance of a godly woman who showed me Jesus over and over. 
See, she knew how to forgive, and I was already forgiven by the time I got to her. But there is no way to separate true forgiveness from true love. True love generates true forgiveness, and that's what this text is about. And there's this fundamental attitude that accompanies these put-ons, right, in in verse 12. Put on these things. And and one of them is this imperative that you bear with one another. If you want to forgive, you've got to learn to bear with one another. It doesn't happen overnight sometimes when we realize we're wrong. There's some practice that needs to go into some of this. See, they bear with one another. He starts the verse off with that imperative. You're going to have to bear with one another. And and then you're going to have to forgive each other. This is what we do in counseling. We teach them to do these things for the glory of God. But these are often seen in actions of godly women who follow Christ. It's really love personified, right? They bear with us. How patient is Jesus with us? I mean, just in my own imagination, sometimes I thought, you know... Lord, I got a feeling you're looking down and you go, did I really die for that guy? (laughs) He's just patient with us, isn't he? We forget the goodness of God when we're stressed over money or, or relationships or whatever else. We forget all that great things our God has done through us, for us through Jesus Christ. And yet he remains so patient with us, doesn't he? He's forgiven us of our sins. But God teaches Christian moms... I think out of all people, to bear with one another. They bear with one another because they truly know how to forgive because they have been forgiven, as the verse teaches here. And I think of that, when I think of a wife and a, and a mother who forgive and, and bear with you, I, I, I just want to rise up and say, blessed are these women. Like, so, like Proverbs 31, 28 says. So a godly woman, she'll win her family over because she knows love is patient. She knows love is kind. See, she knows love does not envy or does it boast. See, she knows it's not arrogant or rude. She knows that love doesn't insist on its own way. She's she's grappled and wrestled with that it's not irritable. And she wrestles with those things and by God's grace has, has victory over those. She knows it's not a resentful love. She also knows it does not rejoice in things that are wrong or in wrongdoing. She knows that love rejoices with truth. And she knows that love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things, and love will never end, she believes, 1 Corinthians 13, doesn't she? And that makes her beautiful. And it makes her a great gift from God. And so, ladies, you have a lot of, te- you have a lot of opportunity to teach. You teach in the way you model your life after the Lord Jesus Christ. Forethought. The love of God motivates the love of biblical womanhood. Verses 14 and 15. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Well, nothing is acceptable to God if it's not motivated by love. Let me say that again. Nothing is acceptable to God if it's not motivated by love. And you can walk down through all the theologies and that will come true. Everything else is just a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. But this verse reminds us that everything is summed up in our text as we study on biblical womanhood and we apply this also to men and young people and so forth, that he says, beyond all these things, put on love. This carries the idea that above all these other things, all these other lists, love is central. Peter said to the church scattered abroad in chapter 4, verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And so let me say this, love is a binding agent. You show me somebody who stays in a relationship because they love, because they love that person and they love the Lord, good things will come. And they may have to ask God to help them love, but God will will use that more often than not. And so this binding agent of love reflects this godly woman who is chosen by God who seeks to glorify her. Above all else, love. For Christ-like love often holds families together. I've watched that many times. A loving mom, a loving wife, kept things together because she loved the Lord Jesus Christ and it flowed out in her compassion. It came out in her kindness. It came out in her humility and gentleness and patience. And she was empowered by how she was loved by God. 
And this is why we honor biblical womanhood. It's why we honor mothers today. And the final result for mothers, wives, single women, is that, look, the peace of God rules your heart. You want to lose your peace? Do things different than what God says to do. That goes for men and women, right? We choose to do something different than God teaches. You'll lose your peace. And you'll be mean. <laughs> you won't be happy. Well, last thought here. I, I really want to just explore our God just for a moment. And this fifth thought, God made women in his image as a witness in his character or to his character. The attempt to destroy gender is just an outright attack against God. I promise you. <laughs> it is, it's coming from the pit of hell. Because the Bible says God made men and women in his image. And we see this type of instruction all through the Bible. We see God speak in these terms. Uh, uh, there's, there's hundreds of passages. I picked out a few. Psalms 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or it, this is speaking of God, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to ever, everlasting, you are God. Isn't that interesting? The characteristics of God, the psalmist says that you gave birth, clearly, a woman, a term for, for females, right? I think that's good. I mean, right? We, I think I can explain that. It's used of God. He talks about creation of God birthing this world. We don't have birthing people. We have women created in the image of God that are precious in His sight, given a unique role to bring Him glory. Isaiah 46, 3 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnants of the house of Israel. You who were, you have been born by me from birth, and I have carried you from the womb. Don't tell me that God, that, that our, our traits as you as a woman or me as a man, that we don't resemble God. What a beautiful text. I, I birthed you. I've carried you from the womb. We're in the hallway there, and Josh and Victoria and I were talking about carrying children. I'm good for maybe about 30 seconds with my grandson. He's just a tank. And I give him the gene, and she carries him forever. They got that hip thing going on, you know? <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. I am worn out within minutes. Like, Hun, this kid. Dude, you just played golf for four hours. I know. <laughs> I can't carry that kid. God shows his incredible beauty through women. Isaiah 66, 12, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I extend peace to her like a river, the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you will be nursed, and you will be carried on the hip and fondled on my knee. That's our God. Reflecting the feminine creation that he has given in, in image bearers of women in his own character. Jeremiah 31.20. I found so many of these and I had to eliminate, but I chose a few. Jeremiah 31.20. Is Ephraim, my dear son, Ephraim was also a term used for Israel. Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I spoke to him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, and I will surely have mercy on him. Listen to that term. That's God yearning. Gina goes, I can't wait to see the children. Well, maybe I get a nap in before they come. <laughs> we just have a little different view of them coming over and recognizing. I mean, oh, man, I'm kids, sorry. Um, <laughs> God yearns for his children. He yearns for that. Psalms 131, verse 2. We, as a staff, work through these little short psalms. It's only three verses. And we looked at the um, desire for David to be comforted by God. And he says this, Surely I have composed and I've quieted my soul, David says. Listen to this. Like a weaned child rest in his mother. David said, I've, I've learned to be like this child who lays in that most securest place. A child, the little ones like you saw up here. Dad can hold them for a while, but they are most secure in mom's arms. In many cases. David says, 
I quieted myself so I could be right with God and I'm like a child in a mother's lap. You want to get rid of gender? <laughs> you mock God. A couple more. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the sons of her womb? Easy answer, no. <laughs> right, moms? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. God relates himself to a mom who can never forget her children. Husbands are admonished and encouraged in Ephesians chapter 5, 28 through 29, to reflect Jesus Christ, to be a picture of Christ, right? We know that, verse 25, to lay down their lives as Christ laid down their lives for them. Verse 28 and 29, so a husband ought to love his own wife as he loves his own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now listen to this. For no one has ever hated their flesh. Now look at this phrase he gives to men, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. If you were telling me that nourish and cherish are not more feminine, I, I, I would say, no, that's pretty feminine. My wife is a much better nourisher and cherisher of the children. And yet men were told to nourish and cherish our children. And then, listen to this, as Christ did the church. This feminine role exposes to us a God who, who created man and women in his image, and this stuff comes out of him. One more, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children against anger, but here's the word, the same word for cherish, but bring them up in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. That same word, cherish them in the Lord. Did I say one more? No, one more. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7. I love this one. But we prove, listen to Paul speaking about his love for the Thessalonica church. But we prove to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. There's much to be learned by biblical womanhood. Men, pay attention to a wife who loves Jesus. Help her. Give her everything she needs. Church, let's honor it. Let's protect it. Let's stand for biblical womanhood. Hey, they're coming, man. They're going to put up with this kind of message very long. Who knows what we've been kicked off already as I spoke. Let's stand for it. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you. What a glorious time to honor the women and mothers and biblical womanhood. The, the single, the, the, the women without children yet. Uh, they, they're all this beautiful representation of your grace in our life. And so we thank you for them on this Mother's Day. Lord, may you have been honored by what we said and sung and did here today. In Jesus' name, amen.